Crazy week, huh? Did you agree on that one? You know, uh, kind of like two things smashing together this week. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously COVID is ticking up around the globe right now, not just here in our area. You know, we hear maybe Wisconsin or this region. It's globally. It's going up everywhere. And that, of course, creates with it its own set of, I think, tensions for people, fear for people. But, uh, you know, you had the election on top of it this last week. And, you know, maybe we'll know who's president in the next three to five years, um, the way things go. But uh, I, I don't know how you are. I, I, I love watching elections. Um, some people can't stand it. I'm even seeing some of you right now going, oh, just tell me in the morning. I'm one of those kinds of guys that, like, I love having, you know, this TV onto this network, but I'm flipping over to this network, and then you have your phone open. And I just enjoy, I think, the statistical side of it. I enjoy saying who's going to flip which state, which way, and how do the numbers go. I actually enjoy even watching how the media tries to create interest for something that really isn't that interesting moment by moment about, oh, I got to tune back in. Did the number change again, right? It's masterful at it. But, but talk about just a, a time that brings, I think, with it a lot of emotions. And you know, I've been wrestling with it this week. I, I, I just feel like it needs to be spoken into a bit this morning. You know, typically I don't like to do this kind of thing um, uh, for a few reasons that I'll just kind of share with you outright. One, I, I really like keeping fellowship of faith a politically free zone, if I can put it that way. It's a place where it's safe no matter what side of the spectrum you find yourself on or what your political leanings are, that this is a place that it's not about parties and it's not about a candidate and it's not about um, that type of thing, but it's about something that transcends that, which is a unity in Christ, whether you, uh, you know, identify more with this person or that person or voted for this person or that person. So I like to kind of, <clears throat> you know, keep it away for that reason too. I think people get too wrapped up in it. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm naive. Uh, maybe you even think differently on that. But, you know, it's always struck me as an irony that while nobody likes the media, I don't care what side that you're on, right? It's either that liberal media or the fake news or, you know, whatever it might be. No, nobody likes the media. and We all have our kind of like our target in the media. Nonetheless, we always let the media still set the agenda for our discussion. Have you ever noticed that as soon as someone says they don't like the media, they proceed to talk for the next 30 minutes about exactly what the media has been talking about? And it's so fascinating to me that even the people who claim not to trust the media are the ones that are still letting them lead them into the discussions. But I think God has bigger discussions that are far more important than what the media might be focusing on. So, so for that reason, I don't like to get wrapped up with it. And at the end of the day, fundamentally, we're a church. And, and I think our interest always needs to be into more transcendent things. What is God up to? How does that capture our heart and our imagination more than what's happening in our organizational structures of our cities or counties or states or country at a time? And so it always kind of leads me to kind of try to distance these conversations. But then I realized the other side. The fact is these things are important. And they do affect us. And many of you, it's affecting deeply. 
And as Christians, we're called to be in the world, even if not of the world. And being in the world means it's not right to hide or deny or minimize even the important things that are happening, right? Here at Fellowship of Faith, we just always have this desire to be very real about our lives in this world. And and this is a very real time when people are feeling very real things and have real questions. And honestly, I think if we're doing our job as a church, we should be looking for spiritual guidance in times like this. Or as at least as a church giving it, whether it's wanted or not, you know? And so, while I don't want to obsess on it, I do just want to speak into maybe this week briefly. We've been going through Isaiah this year. And we've been talking about how Isaiah has this this recurring refrain. Don't panic. That's how the message translation will put it anyway. Don't panic. I can't tell you how many times Isaiah says it. If you're reading another Bible version, it might come out something like, do not be afraid, or old King James has a great, fear not, right? There's something just out of the gate on that one. But I think it's especially times like this that, you know, that message Isaiah had 2,800 years ago is more relevant than ever. I want to encourage those of you who are uncomfortable with uncertainty who feel a certain sense of nervousness or anxiety. Or maybe, honestly, those of you who are downright afraid. Especially maybe some of you who have been sequestering yourselves in your homes for months now. Afraid. I think there's something to God's fundamental trans... trans, trans, I can't even get the word out. transcendent message that I think we have to remember now more than ever. I've been reading a lot this week from just different bloggers and pastors and theologians and all of this, and I came across this thing, I think it's by Dave Smith out of uh, Willow Creek, actually, who kind of brought up the point that right now, in our community right here, there is a full range of emotions going on. There are those who are elated with the way that the election is turning out. There are those who feel vindicated. There are those who are relieved. There are those who are disappointed. There are those who are angry. There are those who have a sense of resignation There are those who are afraid. And he brought up this point, and it kind of struck me, that it's moments like this that we can realize that we have friends who sit here, people that we talk to, have coffee with, worship with, pray together with, who feel different than we do. And you know what? There's something healthy about that. There's something healthy about that, and the reason why is because of something more, see, I'll get the word out this time, transcendent than any election. I want to share a psalm with you this morning. It's, it's one, 
you know, I know I read it before, but like, you ever have this where it's like, you've read something that was like so cool and then you promptly forget it and then you go back and read it again. It's like, how have I forgotten this one? Psalm 146, if you haven't read it or read it in a while, maybe check it out today. I want to give you the key verse that I'm going to build around it. This is verse 3. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. Let me say it again. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that day, their plans, they come to nothing. It's this reminder that God gave to the people through Isaiah, that God is giving through the Psalms, and that God has given ever since. That it's so easy for us to put our hope, isn't it, in our trust, into these man-made things that we set up that are important, that can be good, but fundamentally, God calling us to a deeper trust, to something more transcendent to him, that whether Biden is in office, or something happens in the courts and Trump is in office. Neither one of these men can save. And if you voted for Joe Jorgensen or any of the other party people too, they can't even, you know what I'm saying? And there's a reminder in that to me, that no matter what you're feeling right now, it's okay. But fundamentally, isn't God calling us to something deeper? And you know what, I think of something else. It was something Dave Smith brought up where, where Paul will write, weep with those who weep. And that it's our duty and responsibility, I think, as Christians. Certainly if we're seeking the way of Jesus, to maybe try to understand what someone is feeling who isn't feeling the same thing that I'm feeling. You follow me? And if you're related and they're weeping, to weep with them. If you're weeping and they're finding relief, to seek to find what's bringing them joy because no single political party is the way of Jesus. Every human and every human institution is at some level corrupt. And by that I just mean sinful. By that I mean all of us and every person never is fully the way of Christ. And so to put our hope in this party or that party, it feels short-sighted. Maybe you disagree with me and that's okay. But in watching the traffic, social media traffic, hearing the conversations, seeing people's reaction, I felt like I wouldn't be doing my job here this morning if I didn't speak into this briefly. I love what Paul says that our citizenship is where? In heaven, ultimately. And that's what should mark us and define us. Who's ever in office, however, however the political election should play out. There's things that we can control and God calls us in those moments to put our energy into them. To fight for what's right and what's good and what's God-honoring, but there's things that are also out of our control and in that time to pray. And as I think about this past week, you voted, you've spoken, you've done what you could. And it doesn't mean that we now hand all of our responsibility over to our elected leaders to do what's right in this world. No, that call is on each of us. But many things are out of our control now, aren't they?
but you can pray. There's a Christian organization, it's called Voice of the Martyrs. If you're unfamiliar with them, I highly encourage you to, to read their literature. It's, a, it's an organization devoted to those who are being persecuted or martyred for their faith, which is happening more in the 20th and 21st century than it ever has in the history of the world. And something that they write is they, say, they, they find that people have a heart for those who are suffering for their faith, but they feel powerless. What can I do against political machines uh, an ocean away? What can I do in the midst of communities that are rising up against individuals? What, what can I do? And their challenge back is always this. You can do far more than you ever think because you can pray. And if you're willing, I'd just like to pause now and pray. I hope maybe this is something we can do together for our nations and its leaders and its judges and everyone who's involved at this every step of the way. Seeking God in the midst of it, okay? God, this is a time when a wide array of feelings and emotions and thoughts are to the surface even for our people gathered here. Here we gather in this room, Republicans and Democrats and independents and every other stripe and color, but united by your blood because fundamentally, God, whatever our differences, whatever our differences, you see us as the same. Your creation, made in your image, all of us, God, made in your image, loved by you, all of us, God, sinners, in need of your redeeming. So, Lord, we gather here as sinners, admitting it, before we point fingers, make accusations, judge others, we look at ourselves. Help us to take the logs out of our own eyes. Help us to be aware of the logs in our eyes. Help us to be more concerned with the sin and, and falling short that we bear. And God, we come to you today in that. We ask your forgiveness. And we pray as your redeemed people that we would somehow be light in a world filled with fear and darkness, that our conversations would be seasoned with salt, bringing goodness mercy and grace to things that are otherwise often sarcastic, charged, emotional. That we'd be quick to listen, discerning in our hearts and guided by your words more than any other. We pray for our election officials, for our judges, for our courts, that they would act with honesty and integrity. Lord, we pray if, if things have been done honestly. Well, Lord, people aren't afraid to say it. We pray, God, that if there has been sin, the people are quick to repent it. 
We pray, God, for our possible elect, new president, Joe Biden, that if he should be the one to come into office, that, Lord, you'd anoint him with your spirit, that he would be marked by integrity, courage, compassion, that he would seek your way and your things to do what is right and good. We pray for our house. We pray for our Senate. We pray for our courts. We pray for our President Donald Trump. That, Lord, if he ends up being the one to go four more years or if even it's just 40 to 50 more days, Lord, that you would also grant him your wisdom, your conviction, and you would lead forward whatever time he has left in, in your goodness and honesty and love and compassion as well. Sometimes, God, to pray for these things, it feels like a fool's hope. It isn't. Because you've said it isn't. You said you are a God who transcends all things and transforms hearts. May we not trust fundamentally as your people in the princes of this world, but Lord, in you, heeding your word. Guide us and knit us together, we pray. Amen. I don't know if that was helpful or not. It feels odd for me to say this, but truly thank you just for your willingness to come and to listen and to consider. And I want to encourage you to just keep praying. Not because we're desperate, not because, just because God is good and we can trust it there. I want to read the rest of the psalm now. Because it's amazing how the rest of the words frame that little phrase. Praise Yahweh, it says. Praise Yahweh, O my soul. I will praise Yahweh all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. It doesn't say this here, but if you think about it, what does that mean? In good times, in bad times, in times of victory, in times of defeat, in times of confidence and in times of fear, in times of certainty and in times of uncertainty, I will praise Yahweh with all my being. It's what the psalmist says. Do not put your trust in princes and mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose help is yours today, whose hope 
is Yahweh his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them, Yahweh who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. Yahweh sets the prisoner free. Yahweh gives sight to the blind. Yahweh lifts those who are bowed down. Yahweh loves the righteous. Yahweh watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. Yahweh reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise Yahweh. Sometimes I think an attitudinal shift to embracing just a simple psalm like that would impact everything. The mouth of the Lord has spoken, as Isaiah would say. You know, last week I shared with you that fundamentally we want you to know God and the way of God. Not because of some agenda that we have or whatnot, but because those who have come to gather to found and create and lead this church have found something in Yahweh that we think the world needs, that we think makes life better, that we think is the only hope there is. We want you to know him because we believe that he's real and that he loves you and wants to be known by you and that while he's incomparable, he is nonetheless knowable because God reveals himself. He shows himself and he, and he lets us in on the nature of who he is that you can know God. Because by knowing him, we think you're actually going to like him. Many people, we said, don't like God. Because they've been told things about God that are downright unlikable. They've come to believe things about God that aren't quite true, that are either downright false or distortions of a truth that have created a false image of who he is but that the more we get to know who God says he is, how he speaks of himself, the more I think we actually like who he really is. Oh, challenge to be sure. Make no mistake, get to know God and you will be challenged by him. Each and every one of you. But that you like him. And in liking him, come to love him. And in loving him, come to trust him, and in coming to trust him, find that he proves to be trustworthy. Which is why the psalmist can sing, praise you with all my soul, because I know that the things of this world are fleeting, but you, O Yahweh, last forever. Isaiah's big thing is it's hard to know God. How do you understand the incomparable? How do you wrap your mind around the one who is so different, so beyond, and so far from who we are? And so what God seems to do is he condescends, which means he comes down to our level. He speaks to us in ways that we'll understand. And one of the most common ways that God describes himself is as a person through human anatomy, because let's face it, we know this kind of stuff about us more than we know anything. Last week we talked about here, down, talked about these ways that God talks about his hand, his arm, even his finger. Today I want to kind of talk about right here, the part of your body 
this phrase that occurs throughout the Bible, especially in Isaiah, the mouth of God. What are these things, these funny holes we have in the front of our heads? The amount of good and the amount of damage that's done with this thing. Probably far more than with these. How God has gifted us with this thing that requires such responsibility, doesn't it? Something that can give life, something that can kill, something that can build up, something that can tear down, something that can enlighten and something that can obscure. What are these mouths that God has given us? But more than that, these things that show expression, that show the heart. It's often said that the eyes are the window to the soul, but let's make no mistake, isn't the mouth too? The expressions that we make that allow people to see, what is it are we feeling? How do we think? Where is it that we're responding in a relationship from laughter to smile to sneer to stern? I don't know about you, but I'm a mouth breather. These things get kind of clogged up on me. One of my greatest fears is ever being gagged with duct tape. I'd be dead in three minutes. How would I, you know? How would you breathe this, 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 this area that almost becomes a source of life, a, a giving and a taking, and that can even give life to another when it stopped breathing? There's so many things we know and we understand by our mouths it allows me to do my favorite activity, eating. <laughs> the enjoyment of God's creation that happens through this weird little hole in the front of our heads. And this God who wants to be known describes himself as having a mouth. A God who speaks not a God who's silent, a God who is mute. No, something far different, a God who has something to say, who has a lot to say. It's always struck me as the great irony, not only of, of life in general, but of my own life. How many times have we been calling out to God, asking God, seeking God, wishing God would speak? You don't need to show a hand this morning, but have you ever wished that God would just speak into some situation to make clear or to give hope or to give guidance? Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, how should I think about this? Lord, what's the meaning behind this? Lord, what's going on? Why didn't he just say something? And the great irony is then I kind of realize that he has been speaking for centuries. And people who have sought God have chosen to put down his very words and how often it's not so much a case that God hasn't spoken, it's just that I'm not listening. And that sits over there while I continue crying out, say something, Lord, and he's like, really? Really? Sometimes I think it would be easier if God said less. Because, oh, the depths, the riches, and the wisdom of what God has said. That God speaks. 
that God speaks, and when he speaks, it's not like when other people speak. Forgive me if this sounds political one more time, but I'm saying nothing that you don't believe already. Whatever politician it might be, how often do we really trust what they say? It's easy to take pot shots at politicians, though. We know the jokes and the cliches, false promises and things undelivered. It's easy to take pot shots because how many times is it true of us? Oh, yeah, I'll be there. And then something better comes up and we're not. I'll help you out, but it's not convenient anymore, so I don't. I'll see you at 9, and it's 9.15, and we don't even care anymore, do we? We're all so guilty of saying things that we have no intention of sticking to or that we don't actually mean. How many times do we say something but later on, oh, well, I was just venting, as though that justifies it? But when God speaks, it does something. I love this passage from Isaiah. I want to read it to you today. From Isaiah 55, some of you might know this well. If not, learn it. It's cool. Yahweh says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. Something both disconcerting and encouraging in that at the same time. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And he says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, but instead do what? Make it bud, make it flourish, so that it bears a crop and bread for the eater. Yahweh says, so is my word that goes out from what? My mouth. My, so is my word that goes out from my wealth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it, that when God speaks, it actually does something, that when God speaks, it, it affects something. There's this great theme throughout the Bible of God speaking and what happens as, as a result. When God speaks, it happens. From the very beginning of the creation of this world, what is the line that repeats itself over and over again in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2? And God said. Well, he wasn't speaking out of his eyes. It's fascinating to me that God is making things, but it doesn't say in God formed. It doesn't say in God molded, God fashioned, God shaped. Wouldn't you expect creation to be done with the hands? But not Yahweh. It's the mouth, of the, uh, the mouth of God that creates. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let there be an expanse dividing water from water. And there was sky and sea. And God said, let dry ground gather together. And dry ground gathered together. And God said, let there be fish and birds and insects to teem with life in the sky and the sea. And it was so. And God said, let there be vegetation. And it cropped up. I say, let there be vegetation. And nothing happens. God speaks and stuff happens. It's not like, you know, the birds are like, well, you know, we'll think about it, Yahweh. No, God's word commands authority. It has power. 
power it creates. When God speaks, it does something. God says, just as my word comes, just as the rain comes down and does what it is designed to do, so when my word goes out, it does something. God's word is powerful. It is true. It does what it accomplishes. So when God says you are forgiven, guess what? You are. I don't care that you don't feel forgiven. I don't care that you don't think you can be forgiven. I don't care. It's not, well, God, let me think about it because I really still feel this burden inside. You're forgiven. God said so, and it's done. When God looks at you and says, in my son, you are righteous, you are holy, and you laugh at him and your heart inside, yet if you only knew me, he knows you better than you know yourself. Oh, he knows you. And he knows how much worse you are than you actually. He knows every secret thought, every corrupt motive. But he says, my son, you are holy. You are my holy ones. You are righteous. Do you know what that means? It's so. It's so because God said it. God has spoken and God's word is true. What does Paul write? Let God be true in every man a liar. When it's our words versus his words, our thoughts versus his. No, God's word commands something. And do you know what God's word does? It brings life. That God's speaking in creation brought the abundance of life out of nothing, something, not out of something, nothing. A word not spoken to destroy, but a word to give. I, I love Genesis 2 that God breathes. He breathes. And I'm assuming he's not going nostril to nostril on him because that would be weird. But how he breathes into this, this Adam that he's created, this, this ground boy, this, this one from the dirt, and he becomes a living brain that the breath of God infuses him and he comes back to life. I love the prophecy of Ezekiel where the prophet looks over the slain and the dead, rotted bones that are dry and picked clean. Oh, but Lord, that you would speak, that you would speak over them. And the mouth of God speaks and the dead come back to life. No, the mouth of God is a powerful thing. A powerful thing. I think of Jesus. What did they say? They stood amazed at his teaching as one who spoke with authority. That his words were true, not like those of their teachers, that Jesus, when he breathed on them, that the Holy Spirit infused them with God's life. I think of that passage we looked at last week with Jesus spitting in the man's eyes and he could see. I think of the Jesus promises made with the conviction then laid before us, will you dare to believe? The mouth of God, it's a powerful thing, a way by which we can understand who this God is, a God, a God who has something to say and when he says it, you can count on it. It's true. It'll happen. It'll be sure. A God who desires the life of this world, of you,
and brings it. If it helps to think the God who will whisper in your ear, an intimate conversation, a God who will proclaim out loud, unafraid to speak, a God who will bind himself on promise spoken so that you can hold him to it, a God who will come to you mouth to mouth, dead in your sin. This is Yahweh, the incomparable God, the incomparable God who who wishes to be known by you. And I pray for you today. I do that. That you would pay attention to what's happening in that part of his body.